0: You know, any entrepreneurial venture uh, is, you know, in one way tied to freedom, making enough money so you can have the freedom to uh, do what you want when you want and how you want it.
1: Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Miguel Kraschowski, and welcome to episode 43 of That Remote Show, where we are here from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Chris Reynolds, a lifestyle entrepreneur, high-performance tactician, and international speaker, and founder of The Business Method Podcast and Get Shit Done Live. Chris has been a location-independent entrepreneur for almost nine years and has traveled the world consistently during that whole time. Through his podcast, The Business Method, he has interviewed more than 300, that's three with two zeros, 300 of the most successful entrepreneurs, including famous big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, John Lee Dumas, who hosts the number one business podcast in the world, Casey Fenton, the founder of Couch Surfer, and many, many more. Currently, Chris focuses on helping entrepreneurs scale their business and life rapidly through consulting, digital courses, and live events where entrepreneurs apply research-driven, high-performance techniques to help them reach goals faster. I've been listening to Chris's podcast, The Business Method, for the last few months and have really, really enjoyed his input on entrepreneurship and lifestyle design and our entire nomadic sort of existence, and I decided to bring him on the podcast to get to talk to him and dive in a little bit deeper on those topics. And during this interview, you'll hear us talk about how Chris went from studying agriculture and dreaming of becoming a farmer to starting his first online business the realities of having a nomadic lifestyle and how to balance that with your relationships, both with people who are nomadic as well and those who uh, live back in your hometown. And we also talk about how Chris is able to remain productive even while traveling full time. For those of you guys that travel and are location independent already, you know that that's something that's that's a really big struggle is traveling and then having to sort of get back into that productive mode when you get to wherever you're going. I really loved having Chris on and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this interview as well. But before we jump in, please head over to your favorite podcasting app and leave this show a review. It is the number one way to show your support at the moment. And we've had a number of you guys go and leave a review, and it shows in the charts. So thank you. Thank you so much to those of you who have already left reviews. I really appreciate it, and I can't say thank you enough. We mentioned several resources during this interview, so you can find all of those over at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 43. That's episode all spelled out, followed by the number 43. And if you're looking to improve your productivity this year and really make considerable progress on your project, make sure you check out Chris's high performance productivity coaching, and you will get 15% off of that if you mention this podcast. So that's an amazing deal, guys. All right. Without further ado, I know this was a bit of a lengthy intro. Let's dive into this interview with Chris Reynolds. All right, Chris, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing?
0: I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, man. Thank you so much for uh, stopping by. I, I uh, appreciate it. I've been listening to the Business Method Podcast, which is your podcast, quite a bit here recently yeah Uh, so yeah thank you for putting that up how long have you been uh I I think you're on like episode 300 plus something how many episodes do you have on the podcast
0: so it's uh well I'll tell you a little secret we started at episode 100 um so (laughs) it's like yeah so I think we're at 438 or something like that so it's actually 338 okay so why why did you do like why did it start differently like that um, I, I did that because, you know, uh, I don't know if you're, I don't know how old you are, but like growing up, they taught us how to use checkbooks and invoices. And they always said like, start your checkbook at, at number a thousand or start your invoice at number a thousand. And I was like, oh, I'll just start my podcast at number a like, hundred. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think any, I didn't, you know, I wasn't trying to manipulate anybody. I was just like, oh, I just like, yeah, a hundred sounds good. And, uh, and so, yeah, so it's a hundred, it says, I think we're at four, 440 or something, but mm-hmm. mine is a hundred is 330. So,
1: yeah, I don't know if uh, this tells you my age, but, uh, a couple, maybe a month or two ago, I had to go send like a piece of like a letter in the mail and I couldn't figure out, like I had to Google like where the stamps went <laughs> and my girlfriend uh-huh. was like, oh my God, you're such a millennial meme right now. <laughs> <I'm> trying, like, <laughs>
0: i mean it's true i don't know the last time i stamped anything i mean you know well you know what it is
1: this is totally not what like the digital nomad life is it's uh-huh. talking about stamps and mail but the stamps come on the on the envelope now so you don't even have to worry about it i went in there trying to like, <laughs> like you know like lick the stamps and the guy was like what are you doing man it's they're on the envelope <laughs> now. You know? i was like, I, was How like funny. Right. I had no
0: idea actually the stamps are on the envelope um but I'm shocked like when I come back, you know, because I live in middle of America and and you do you live in Cincinnati? Are you from there? Or? Yeah,
1: when I'm that's my home base in the US. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So similar. And and, you know, people still have checkbooks. And I'm like, what? Like 15 years, I don't think I've had a checkbook, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah.
1: On the on the complete opposite side of this, you know, now you have like Apple Pay and all these crazy things. And my dad is like, so he resisted going, getting an iPhone. He was like the most hardcore anti Apple guy, and then now he like bit the bug and he owns everything Apple. But he was the first person to ever use the Apple Card in Bulgaria, and uh-huh. Apple sent him a hundred dollars. Was like, hey, thanks for using Apple, which is pretty cool. <laughs> but yeah, man, I want to. So speaking of Middle America and kind of this totally, you know, different lifestyles, one of the really interesting things that I learned about you is that. So you currently have a podcast and you work with a lot of entrepreneurs in terms of productivity, right? If if I'm mistaking something, like let me know. But I heard that you have a background in agriculture. Is that yeah. correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I actually went to college for agricultural business and um got my undergrad in ag business and I was in a ag fraternity. So we're all a bunch of farm boys. And I didn't grow up on a farm, but all my mom's family are farmers. So I spent a lot of time around the farm and my uncle had a farm and, and, uh, all my heroes growing up were farmers. And so when I, as a young boy, I remember, you know, 16 year old in high school and, and my teacher asked me what do I want to be when I grew up and I was like a farmer, what else would I do? Like I want to farm. And, uh, so then like I, I had a major shift even up through college and undergrad, like I still wanted to be a farmer. Um, and I had a major shift in grad school cause I went and got just a general MBA and they, uh, and, and I started learning, you know, about globalization and, and international, uh, economics and all this stuff and blew my mind. And I just thought to myself, you know, I can, I, this stuff's really interesting. I can always come back to the, to the, you know, Missouri, the farming thing. And, you know, I still actually want to buy a farm. So that's like my long-term goal is, you know, uh, have a business that's that's really sustainable, pulling in, you know, seven figures a year and on a regular basis profits and then have enough money to buy a farm so I can play on the farm and have some, you know, little tiny houses for all my friends to come visit. And then we'll have some, you know, tractors and four wheelers and motorcycles and, and stuff to play on.
1: Isn't that called? The, I heard this term, gentleman farmer. Yeah, gentleman is that the term farmer. for
0: <laughs> that? Comes like somebody who like, has a farm. Yeah, that that comes from like the old South, though. Like it's when the gentleman farmers, when the the headmaster, the head farmer, and they have a bunch of hired hands, you know. And the or even the way back in the day, it was from slaves. But um, yeah, it's that the farmer, the gentleman farmer, doesn't really do any farming. They just hire people to to farm.
1: Yeah, I've heard it used as, like, people who own a farm, but they're not – or, like, they have a farm, but Mm. it's not for, like, their livelihood. Like, they're just kind of, like, fucking around on the farm, you know, like, playing with tractors and stuff like that. Hobby
0: farmers, yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So how did you – so you're in grad school. You're learning about, like you said, globalization, all these things. How did you then decide that? Because that's a pretty major shift, right? You growing up in middle America, like you said, you wanted to be a farmer. And then now you're, you know, location independent. You have this like digital nomad friendly business. Mm -hmm. How did that like that's a big
0: move. That's a big shift. So how did that happen? Well, if we understand like why people want to be farmers, like it's it's not as uh, I think you'll understand the shift much better. So um, the dream of a farmer is one, you're you're your own boss. Two, you have the freedom to do what you want when you want to do it. Uh, and three, like you just have this amazing independence, you know, and that really kind of rolls right into our lifestyle now as location independent entrepreneurs, you know, we're our own bosses, we get to go where we want to go when we want to go. We make our own decisions and that sort of thing. The only difference is, you know, a farmer works the land and we work a computer and uh, and so Um, they're, they're tied, you know, any entrepreneurial venture, uh, is, you know, in one way tied to freedom, making enough money so you can have the freedom to, uh, do what you want when you want and how you want it, you know? And, Mm uh, and so, so they're very, for me, they're very similar. Like there, there's not that much difference other than, you know, the physical movement and physical labor part of it. So the mentality and the spirit of farming and, um, the entrepreneurship that we do being a digital nomad is very similar for me.
1: Yeah. So how did you get started? Like, um, what was the, the first thing, you know, a lot of people, like when they enter this world, they go through a lot of different stages. Like how did you get started to be, you know, you decided, Hey, I want to, you know, be location independent, and I want to take, you know, this mentality in a digital format. What was your first step? Like, how did you get started with this?
0: You know, I think like after, I mean, even before like i read the four-hour work week i was still wanting to travel and go go to places so after i went to graduate school um, and then I took an internship in New Hampshire Then I came back uh, to Missouri. Then I was like, I had a friend that lived in Florida and I was like, and we had some work down there. So I was like, let's go to Florida and I'll spend some months working down there. Then I came back to Missouri and then on a wing, I was like, let's just go to Arizona. So I spent a, actually a few years in Arizona and then traveling to Mexico and California and all throughout like the Western part of the U S when I was there. And then I came back to Missouri for some time and then I went back to Arizona. So I was always, you know, I think like a lot of us, you know, travels just in our, in our blood, you know, it is something Mm -hmm. that we're supposed to do that we have to do. And then eventually like the book, the four hour work week came around and I was like, ah, this is the thing I've been waiting for. Like, it's possible, it's doable, I'm on it. And so I read that book four or five times and used it as a study guide. And I also bought, um, the, uh, the audio, it back when it was CDs, you know, cause it came out in 2007 or whatever. And so I would use the audio CDs for the four hour work week, put them in my truck and drive around and listen to it. And I probably listened to it to a dozen times at least. And, uh, and so that's, uh, that initiated it. I, I was like, I'm going to do something online. Um, at the time, Tim Ferriss was running a a contest like who's the best digital nomad contest who's the number one really yeah this was i've never heard of this this was 2008 or 2009 so it was a long time ago and um and the guy and i reached out to like the top four or five people that were on that contest winners of that contest and i think number three was a guy named manish seti and he's the brother of ramit seti yeah yeah and manish now runs a location independent business with the Pavlock bracelet, helping people hack their, their, uh, their, um, their goals. Their like the, yeah. yeah. And, um, he was traveling the world and he was building I, niche th- websites that's online. That's and the it, thing that like shocks you, right? Yeah. So it shocks you and, uh, it'll shock you. And, and if you like bring your, if you're smoking and if you bring your hand up to smoke, um, or something that bite your nails, like you can set it to shock you. So he was running a location independent business, building niche websites online. I was like, "Hey, man, what are you doing?" He's like, "This is what I'm doing." I was like, "Help me out," and he was like, "Okay, I'll help you out." And he was still in at university too at the time, and um, and so so we uh, I started doing that, started building niche websites online, and after a year and a half or so, bought a one way ticket to Costa Rica.
1: Why Costa Rica?
0: Um, so I was with a girl at the time and, and we were torn between like, uh, Korea, South Korea and Costa Rica and her, her dad was sick. And so we decided Costa Rica was closer to the U S and I had one friend there that, that could kind of plug us in. So, so that was it. And plus the beaches are amazing and it's very exotic and you know, all the good things.
1: Yeah, so in in terms of travel, you know, this was something that I mean, you've been bouncing around a lot. You've obviously since then traveled a lot internationally, um, as I have. And one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about recently is, um, did you get to listen to that um, uh, podcast episode with Mark Manson on the Empire Flippers? Did you get to catch I have that? not.
0: No, I have not. No
1: okay i highly recommend it uh but one of the things that mark talked about was um the diminishing return of travel which he kind of spells out as like you know your first second third country it's like wow you know the whole world opens up but then it that's not as important as the 10th or the 20th like it kind of starts have like starts having less of an impact on you as you've you know progressed
0: in your journey is that something that you started to experience absolutely you know and that's something i think about a lot cuz i've been you know i left the us april 27 2011 so you know that was nearly 9 years ago and um You know, Mark has a point and what happens for most people, because I've seen this over and over, especially in circles that you and I run around with, um, is that people get tired of travel after like that two or three years or something, and they, instead of like, thinking about the habits that they're doing or the way that they're traveling they think oh it's travel i've been to 15 countries i'm done now it's time to go back home and create you know some other sort of life and so i hit that wall many times throughout the past nine years and so i started to really think because i didn't want to give up living abroad i didn't want to give up having uh multiple location uh, multiple bases Um, and so I started to travel for purpose. And so every country or city that I went to, it was like, there's either a conference going, going on there, there's business reasons going on there. It may have been just a really, really solid, um, bucket list item, or maybe just a fun weekend getaway, you know? And so instead of just being like, ah, let's go to Zimbabwe next month, or, you know, let's spend, you know, uh, let's go up to Moscow and just check it out, you know, and, and go dancing or whatever. Then it then it's like no like Thailand every year. See, we don't have routines as travelers either. We had we're very sporadic, right? So so what makes a culture a culture? Like those are the things that I I started to ask myself. Um, cultures have holidays, they have rituals. People uh, families have um, great birthdays, they celebrate together. And so I thought like if if I start to create this in my travels, then was, this will be my normal, and it won't be about. Being in a certain location anymore it won't be you know stopping to travel to stay in this one place for you know three years or whatever So like every fall for the past five years, that's why I go to Thailand. There's going to be a bunch of friends. There's a conference in Thailand I attend every year. Um, I do my event in Thailand every year. We do Get Shit Done Live. And I spend a a month like just having fun after those events are done and hanging out with friends that I know that are going to be there every year. Uh, We do, you know, uh, motorbike rides and we go visit the temples and all that. So every year, like that's our ritual. It's like ending the year up in Thailand. Everybody's there hanging out, having a good time and just really having fun. And so for the previous four years, what I did is I spent uh, the first three months in Brazil and then I spent summers in Europe and then I would go to Thailand in the fall. And so, uh, so, for any like small micro travels I would do, I would do like a weekend flying to Bulgaria or flying to uh, Croatia or something like that. But it always had a purpose. And I think if you start to travel like that, um, then it becomes much more purposeful. And it's not about like, yeah, hey, I have to stop traveling now. I should move back to my home city or, you know, I need to find a base in the city. But it's a bit different for everybody. And I don't think in, a lot of people have given it the, the long, the the longevity, I guess you could say, or the practice of like um, creating a true nomadic lifestyle where there's there's reg uh, regular um, you know, either festivals or, or holidays that you spend in, in one certain place. And so that makes it much more enriching because I have, you know, four or so or five bases around the world that I really feel at home that I I know I can go to. And then, um, I, if I want to explore a new place, it's usually, is there a conference there? Is there something going on there that could be a bit more purposeful? And I did a, a, a yoga or meditation retreat earlier this year. Uh, or at the end of 2019. And um, one of the things that they said is like, there's different uh, throughout like a person's maturity, like there's different levels of happiness and it, it in a youthful level, like, like experiences make you very happy and fulfilled. Right. So you think when you're in your late teens and in your twenties, like even when you first start to travel, like experiences going anywhere, it doesn't matter. Like, it's just so happy and fulfilling and exciting. And that wears down on you because you have different priorities as you get a bit older and you need that community, you need that base, but you can do that while still being completely location independent, having a handful of bases around the world and always being in a place where you feel like your tribe is there and you feel at home.
1: Yeah, I think it's funny because Tim Ferriss wrote about this in the four hour work week. You know, I think the last chapter, and I've heard him talk about this as well, where he said in an interview, um, we did an episode a while back revisiting the four hour work week and kind of saying, like, hey, if there was a 2019, 2020 version of it, what would it say? And that was one of the really interesting things that I found was that he, this feeling that we have, you know, the people that, like, you know, like you said, like the people that we kind of like hang out with that have been in this and they have this feel of like, I, it's, I'm I'm doing it, but something's getting like weird. Something's getting old. He talks about it, you know, and he calls it filling the void. And he said that if there was one part that he would rewrite, it would be that one because he, at the time, he believes that so many people read this and said, okay, I'll deal with this when I'm able to figure out this whole four-hour workweek thing. Like, you know, thinking that's the bigger issue, but they never came back. So uh-huh. they were able to figure it out, but were never able to fill it. Um, I wanted to ask you about you know, moving around, like you said, and establishing these bases, um, like you were talking about, because that's something that I'm doing at the moment, too. Um, You know, I have my home base in Cincinnati, I have a good home base in um, Varna, Bulgaria. Mm -hmm. What are what do you look for in terms of home bases? And then like, kind of what is like, what are some of the things that you do to make those feel more like home?
0: Absolutely. So um, a thousand percent, the first thing and the most important thing is, is community for me. Um, I'm a um, pretty much a high extrovert. And so even though as an entrepreneur, like I spend a lot of time alone, I need to, excuse me. Uh, to get refilled. I need to be around my like-minded tribe. I need to be around the people that uh, make me excited to be around. I need to be around people that I can uh, talk to about business, entrepreneurship, self-growth, all those fun things. And so, um, so I look for community. That's why Thailand at the end of the year is really great because I know a lot of people in my entrepreneur groups are going to be in Thailand. I know in the summertime, there's going to be a lot of entrepreneurs bouncing around different cities and in Europe. I know and it's one of the reasons I'm going to Austin now. There's, I, From what I hear, there's such a great community there. So so number one, without anything Without a doubt is is community for me because I know I'll get a certain amount of happiness from thriving off those other people, their energy their conversations their their habits um you know and so that's that's incredibly important so the next thing that is important for me is um uh, just a place that I enjoy being I think there's uh you interviewed Dan Andrews recently and he did a podcast on um on what a city whispers a few years ago and different cities whisper different things when you go to them. And and quite often it's whispering a similar thing to a lot of people. So New York, for example, whispers ambition, right? And, um, you think of like somewhere Costa Rica on the beach, whispers, relax, enjoy. And so, um, and so I think like, uh, Embracing that and 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 understanding what the city is whispering to you can make me feel at home as well. So, uh, for example, like um, um, Barcelona is one of my favorite cities in the world. And it whispers indulge, you know, the food is great, the lifestyle's great, the dating scenes there's there is great. Uh, you're in one of the most amazing cities in Europe and in one of the most amazing cities in the world, the beach is there, the mountains are there. Uh so it's a really fun place. And for me, I like the definitely like the mountains and some access to the outdoors and nature. And, uh, another place that surprised me, like we spent, uh, five months, we spent a summer in, in Tuscany in Italy. And for me that, you know, kind of whispered home because they had a great community. They had great people there. They had rich culture. They had all these really fun and exciting things. And so, um, yeah, for me, like, uh, Tuscany was definitely a place that I was surprised that I enjoyed so much.
1: Yeah, I, um. I've heard Dan talk before about that theory of like, you know, what a city whispers. And I think it, it's, it, it is a very, you know, like in, interesting concept and one that I, I, I think is true. You know, New York is definitely ambition, you know. Uh, for me, that's why I go to Varna so much is for me, like Varna is like living, right? Like, you know, there's really nothing to sightsee. There's, like, it's just all about, like, having, like, a good, like, life experience. Um, But, in like, in terms of community, something that, like, my fiance and I have struggled a lot with, and I wonder if, if you've struggled with this and how you've dealt with this, is, you know, the people who we hang out with and our other friends who are nomadic and stuff like that, they're always moving, right? And we're always moving as well. And so you don't have the time to really make those strong relationships with them. And then on the other hand, you, the people that you're friends with back home, you know, for you in Missouri, for me, for us in Cincinnati, they move on with their lives as well. And so it feels really difficult to keep that connection going, to keep that relationship growing. How do you deal with that? Have you found some sort of solution or is it something that you still struggle with? Like just what, is, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, so for the people back home, like it's—I'm uh, in my 30s, and and my friends I grew up with and went to college with, most of them are all at it, such a different stage in their life. So I have, you know, um, three or so from college and three or so from high school that I just stay in contact with and see them uh, when I'm back home, and 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 that's it. But they're. You know, you really have to embrace when I come back home, I make sure I embrace what I call embrace the culture. And, you know, a lot of people think, oh, there's no culture in America. There's plenty of culture in America and you've just got to look for it It's because, you know, you're in your home and you don't look for it when you're at your home. And so I look to do uh, fun, new things. Like I, I've got my college friends and one high school friend doing ice baths when we're back home for, so we'll go down the lake and jump in. They're like, why are we doing this? And I'm like, I'll tell you why. Like, it's so awesome. So, and because they're, they're intrigued by, you know, my travels and things that I do as well. So I bring a, a little bit of that world to them and, you know, they bring a little, their world to me, what it's like to be in your thirties and be married and have kids and, and having a regular lifestyle and so i've got to embrace that if i want to continue those relationships uh as for like maintaining so that's another thing i'm i'm sure um, a lot of people touch on that like going to a new city and then everybody's transient and then they go to another new city and you don't get to um work on those and and cultivate those relationships and that's one reason like i do go back to thailand every fall Uh, It's because I know quite a few of the same people are going to be there every year. Um, It's like the digital nomad Christmas for us. Um, We get to spend, you know, one, two, two and a half months in Thailand playing around, having a good time, catching up. And so so it's like we call it the digital nomad Christmas, but it's also kind of like a summer camp because, you know, we do many summer camp type type activities. Um, so I like to go. And so if I have my few home bases, which is like Barcelona, um, was Rio de Janeiro and, and, uh, Lisbon, and now I'm working to have one in the U S with Austin and then Chiang Mai. Uh, then I know those, those people that are there on a regular basis are going to be there and not just, um, digital nomads, but other entrepreneurs that are doing awesome things, other people that are in the hobbies that I enjoy as well. So, you know, for example, I have one really close friend. He's not a digital nomad, uh, but he runs a very, very successful business in Barcelona. And so I get excited to go back and hang out with him and spend time with him when I'm back in Barcelona. And now I'm actually, like, I grew up you know and outside of kansas city missouri and so I've, i'm actually starting to make entrepreneur friends in kansas city so when i come back i can have some fun contacts that i can really engage with go out and have dinners with and not just be you know just hang out with family the whole time so like it goes like as the digital nomad life uh, evolves we're gonna see more people wanting to do this long term because they don't want to default back to the regular life or back of just having one home base, um, and they're gonna more people are going to do things like uh, go to Thailand on a regular basis with the same group of people or go to Europe's in the summer with the same group of people or with the same network. And I think that'll, that'll start to evolve, but it's still all very new and people kind of haven't figured that out because, you know, they do their three years of traveling and they think, okay, I'm done. Or they just, they, they just, um, there haven't been communities built around it that, that have these regular rituals, have these regular, regular holidays, have these regular seasons that they, spend in one location
1: yeah I really like what um do you know who Naval Ravikant is oh yeah 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 I really like what he has to say on like what he believes is going to be the future of work he kind of talked um, I can't remember exactly where I heard him talk about this but he talked about how he envisions everything being in this like gig economy where essentially like hey you're a really great designer do a project for three months make a you know a lump sum of cash and then go fuck off for 3 months, right? And like, go do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um and I think that I think that you're right. Um I think that that's going to happen more and more. We have friends, my fiance Sarah and I, we have friends who when we started doing this, they were like, "What are you doing? This is very very weird." And now we have a friend who is an accountant who I've been telling her for years that she sh- she could totally do this remotely. Well, her husband's in the military and so they got moved and so now she is doing it remotely and now they're moving to germany and i'm like you could totally so it's weird that like people that totally didn't understand what we we're doing in the beginning uh are kind of starting to almost start doing something similar to what we are um one of the difficulties though with working online like this and you talked about taking like you know mini adventures and going out and doing really fun things like this is obviously you know how do you how do you have that balance how do you have that separation um, what have you found that works well for you? That like enables you to separate from work. You know, you have a lot of clients that you work with, and helping mm-hmm. them become more productive. Um, how do you separate from that and go and enjoy?
0: You know, where you are and enjoy the people that you're with. Um, I so I keep uh, I keep actually this pretty much the same routine no matter where I'm at. Um, I keep the same time schedule. Um, I keep the same, uh, habits. And so when I land in a new city or country, uh, my goal is just to keep my routine first and then on the evening and weekends. So I'll, I'll go have fun. I'll, I'll see the new sites. I'll go meet the friends. I'll go to the new restaurants. I'll go on the, the, the city tours or whatever. And so that, that helps me keep a regular separation um, all the time. So even if I'm in Missouri or, or, you know, Brazil or Thailand or wherever, I know my evenings are my social time. I know I'm gonna be off work during that time. I know my weekends are going to be pretty much off work. And so it's it's you know, people see my lifestyle, our lifestyles and they think everything's just always changing. It's always different. It's always chaotic. And for me it's 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 all pretty pretty neutral. Like my, um, my routine is very, very much the same anywhere I go. And, uh, and so that helps me keep everything separated because I know there's times when I'm resting and relaxing and I know there's times when I'm working and, and, uh, there's no there for the most part, there's no, um, flexibility there. You know, I'm pretty, pretty scheduled with that. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to
1: talk a little bit about productivity because I feel like I have you here. We can talk about travel and all that kind of stuff a lot, but I I, I feel like I'd be I'd be missing out on if I don't pull a little bit out of you about um productivity. So I try to do the same thing actually, is I try to keep the same schedule wherever I go, but it's always difficult, right? It's always tough when mm-hmm. especially when you get to a new place. What are some of your tips uh on keeping it, you know, the same um, you know, kind of like we talked about the same regime. And then what would you suggest? Like, what is what is your day to day life look like? You know, like, what is a good way to structure things or a way that you would suggest to do it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I make, uh, you know, I have three month goals that I set every three months, excuse me. Um, I usually set a mental goal, emotional goal, physical and spiritual goal. And those are all in in alignment with my three-year goals and my lifetime goals. And so then I break those down every every Sunday night. I plan my week and I look at my three-month goals and I think, okay, what do I need to do this week to stay on target with my three-month goals? And then I, I pretty much block that in and schedule that in. Um, and then I, every evening I write down my three most important tasks that I need to do for the next day, my work weeks. And so when, like, for example, if I go to a new city, my, my most important, um, priorities are of course, accommodation with good internet and a good place to work. And so as soon as I land, I, I can, find that accommodation. I find my place to work and I keep my regular schedules. So right now it's like I'll I'll wake up. I usually go to bed at 11, wake up around um, 530 or so, sometimes six. And then I'll do my meditation. I'll do a little bit of like stretching and some, some cardio and some pull ups. And then I'll start my work. I'll start about at least three hours of deep focused work where I'm focusing on one major project, sometimes longer. And then I do that till around lunchtime. I don't have breakfast. I just have water in the morning. And then at lunchtime, I go and make my first meal and I have, you know, a bunch of vegetables and and uh, really healthy stuff. And then I'll come back and I'll do tasky stuff, you know, or meetings or uh, whatever it may be in the early afternoon. And uh, catching up on email, catching up on messages, doing little miscellaneous things that I need to do. And then... Um, Uh, Sometimes I'll take a little power nap in the afternoon, anything just less, less than 25 minutes. Um, I make sure I do like pull-ups and, and, uh, throughout every break that I have, like I'll go do some pull-ups or push ups or stretching. And then later afternoon, usually around four, I'll go and I'll do my workout. And depending on where I'm at, I do change my workouts. Um, you know, right now I'm, um, doing, uh, running pretty much is my workout running and walking. And then. It's
1: good for that very flat, you know, you can just, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. And in Thailand, I do, I swim, I do swimming because I have a pool where I stay in Thailand In Lisbon, we had a really nice gym close to us. So I, we would go to the gym and, and also one thing that's always, um, very, very, uh, routine and similar for me and consistent is I do Brazilian jujitsu as well. So I'm doing all of these consistent things because my routine's the same. Just, you know, where I'm staying or the countries are different from time to time every few months. And uh, that really keeps me productive, especially being location independent. And it keeps my grounding throughout throughout the time. And I like those three month goals because it gives us flexibility. You know, if we could commit to something for three months, we can get a lot done. But then at the end of three months, you know, we have the flexibility to change those goals a bit if we need to, if we want to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that because I think a lot of people have like a year goal, you know, like especially now, like it's still January. Everybody's like, oh, I'm going to do this big thing, you know, setting like year, um, what do they call like goals, whatever. And like by the time November rolls around, you ask them, like, where are you at with that? A lot of people have dropped off. So, how do you work? This is something that I'm very interested in is how do you work with clients? Like, what does your relationship with clients look like? And like, what does your business kind of look like? How is that structured?
0: Yeah. So we have, um, we have one-on-one coaching, high performance coaching we do for entrepreneurs. Uh, then we have courses now that we're selling and then we have our live event, get shit done live. We have every year, um, in Thailand. And so, um, basically I, the, the top of the funnel would be, um, worm network would be, um, speaking, uh, would be conferences that I go to and also the podcast. And all of that fills up kind of the top of the funnel and then they trickle through to either coaching courses or the live event.
1: Yeah. So what, so how many clients do you work with at a time? Like, cause that's something I've often wondered about that, you know, with people who work with clients is like, how many is too many? How many do you take on?
0: Uh, do you mind telling us a little bit about that? Yeah, I have the capacity to work uh, with at least 10 or up to 10 clients at a time. I don't want to go more than that. But usually my sweet spot is around um, uh, five clients, coaching clients or so. Um, But I like to, I I can take up to 10, but like it you know the, the the perfect is like around five and then we do our calls on on monday i usually try to do all coaching calls on monday uh, so they get ready for their week they can have a good week occasionally somebody prefers to do it on friday but we'll keep them either on monday or friday and um and then we the thing is is like because i'm a, a lifestyle entrepreneur we also have to i also have to tell them you know um uh, you know, I give you the flexibility because if you travel or if you have a conference or you have something that comes up with your family or children or health, uh, I'm completely flexible with with that lifestyle. And so most of the clients are very much lifestyle entrepreneurs as well. And they value that. So if I have, you know, a week of conferences or something that I have to take the time off, uh, then we just schedule that in and, and change their calls and make sure they're still on top of their goals throughout that time. But they're they uh, we just have a, a week off of our, our call.
1: So what does productivity coaching actually mean? Like what does a session or a call with a client look like? Like, what do you help them with?
0: Um, so when we start the coaching, I have them go through, um, creating a, a longer term vision, like a, a lifetime vision, a 10 year vision, a three year, three year goals. And then we create three month goals that are in alignment with all of that. And so when they have three month goals, so say for example, somebody wants to, um, launch a new product to bring in, uh, another, you know, 10 or 20 grand into, um, monthly reoccurring revenue into their business. And so the idea is like, okay, what, what do we need to do to hit that three month goal? Okay. You want to launch it at the end of three months, let's reverse engineer that and figure out what you need to what your, your, your points are It's 75%, 50%, 25% and how much you need to achieve each week to make sure you're on goals, you're on target with all of that. And so we have a spreadsheet that we put all the, the numbers in and we talk with, uh, the clients and, and we figure out, you know, their goals each week that they need to to hit to make sure they're on target with it. And every call when we sit down in our sessions, I say, okay, what's working for you? What's not working for you this week? Uh, what do we need to change? Are you on target? What got in the way? Um, what are the habits that are stopping you? Um, what is the schedule or the lifestyle choices that are stopping you, um, from hitting this? What, uh, what's, what has worked in the past week? Let's double down on that and use that over and over. So it's a process of like figuring out, you know, um, um, you know, what's stopping them and what's getting in a way to help them. Uh, excel their productivity and uh, we do that every week and then next week we revisit that and see how they're doing with their goals to make sure they're on top of it but the idea of like having a coach and having um, an accountability partner or even a mastermind group is is really like putting bumpers on the bowling alley Uh, and it it, you're going to hit the pins it just helps you if you have somebody there that's that helps you through that accountability process that you can talk to and you can say okay I'm going to do that this week and the mindset shifts and uh, it helps you hit those pins much quicker, much harder with much more guidance.
1: Yeah. I want to, you've mentioned your event, get shit done a couple of times and Mm -hmm. our mutual friend, Ray Blakeney, uh, who I was speaking yeah. with him after, uh, after he came back from it and he said he had a blast. He said he got a lot of stuff done, uh, which is awesome. How did you come up with the idea for that? And like, just tell us a little bit about what the event is and how you came up with the idea for that.
0: Yeah. So I was, I've been working on like productivity and, and high performance for like 12 years. And I didn't even know it was that when I started working on it. I just wanted to optimize my own time and get more shit done. And so after a couple of years of traveling the world, I realized I was I was pretty lonely because um, I was traveling, but I missed like my like-minded people. There was a bunch of backpackers just everywhere I went and, and I didn't have any location independent entrepreneurs. And so I landed in Barcelona and at the time um, a friend, Eric, Decided he was going to come stay with me, who also worked online as well. And he stayed for the month. And that month, like we set goals together, we worked out together, we we uh, had the same working schedule. We we held each other accountable, and we got more shit done in that month and than, than any other month I could remember before and i thought to myself like this is back in 2014 so i thought to myself like why aren't we doing more of this why aren't there more people doing this and so i thought well let's create like a co-living business accelerator where everybody lives together um we'll do it in barcelona and uh we'll we'll create goals together we'll have masterminds together and we'll enjoy the city together And so we did that and I I set it up and 12 people came to the first one and uh, it was an amazing experience. And at the end of it, I thought like, hey, I'm really thinking about making this a business. What do you guys think? And everybody overwhelmingly said yes. And so i created another two in barcelona that year and then then i moved it down to thailand at the time those business accelerators they were a month long and so we would have a month long to just hang out and socialize but what i found is like living with everybody is kind of like living in a frat house you had a bunch of guys and occasionally a few females would come through and uh And I was like the house manager and I didn't want to be a house manager. So I thought to myself, like, how can I make this? How can I take the, the, my time, create this into a business, but I'm not like spending all my time in the houses in, in the midst of all of it. So I took out all the productivity stuff that we've we had at those business accelerators, um, removed the social stuff and then put it to an online form. And we were still having the event in Thailand, so I reduced it from a month to ten days. And I thought, you know, I bet if we hyper focus for ten days and not focus on social activities, in ten days these guys can get done just as much as they were doing in a month. And it turned out to be true. So in ten days people would like knock out 6 months of business revenue. Um uh, we had one guy create like $200,000 in Facebook ads at one of our events. Um all these really cool things that were happening. And so uh so I continued to do that and I I called it get shit done live because everywhere I went people would go to a conference and then they would go travel again. And they would be like, you know, after the conference, I'm torn between, uh, you know, having fun and and going to Bali and going to this place and between that and getting shit done. And that's the thing people said over and over. They're just like, where do we go to get shit done, Chris? I just want to get shit done. And I thought, well, okay, so that's a perfect name. So we had Get Shit Done Live in Thailand every October. Uh, At the end of October, we have it every year, 10 days. But most people, we have the option to stay for a month. So about 60 percent of the people end up staying for the whole month month. And after those 10 days, uh, people can either go see the elephants or they can, um, and go visit the temples or they can stick around and and work together. And and so quite often, a lot of people are like, let's just keep working together. Like we're on a roll. Like we we got 10 days, we got a lot of stuff done. And then some people are like, nah, I want to go, you know, uh, mountain biking or I want to go, you know, enjoy the Thai food or whatever it may be.
1: So for people who are um, maybe interested to attend that, because I think that's an awesome idea. I, I, I totally agree. You know, it, it's great to just sit down and like get a ton of stuff done. And I think being surrounded by other people who are like also, you know, getting shit done makes you get shit done. You know, because you're like, so
0: much. Yeah. I'm
1: not going to be the only guy out here that's like, you know, not, you know, getting anything done. So every year it's always October or do you do um, like, uh, like other options?
0: Yeah. End of October every year. So it's usually like the last week of October and it usually rolls into one or two days in November. I think actually it's the 22nd through 31st this year of October. Um, and uh, yeah, every year on the year and eventually I, uh, you know, people ask me a lot to do one in Austin or Medellin or back to Europe, or, but you know it's a lot of work, and it and I like the regular um, patterns that we have, and and uh, so it's it's for now it's staying in Thailand all the time until maybe I'll decide to do to do it somewhere else.
1: Yeah, the good thing about I think doing it in Thailand and in um, Chiang Mai is that you have so many people that would like you have such a big market there of people who would mm-hmm. go do that. While in a lot of other places, like you might have to set up and feel like more people would have to travel to go to go there. So if you've figured it out and it works in Chiang Mai, then that's awesome. Uh, I wanted to ask you kind of as like in closing, I, you know, I got to ask one of the things that I've been really impressed with about your podcast is that you're finding like really like world quality guests that come on and um, you know, that you interview for the podcast. How have you been able to do that? Like what is like, how, like what is the method that you use to reach out to these people and how do you get them to be on the podcast? I just want to hear a little bit about, you know, kind of the process there here, the secret, if you don't mind sharing.
0: Absolutely, man. I, I, I spend a considerable amount of time in outreach. And, um, like even today I spent like probably an hour just reaching out to people and maybe I'll reach out to a hundred. I've got a list of, you know, a, a few hundred dream podcast guests and I kind of go through that and I don't mind go through, going through that a couple times and I don't mind chasing guests down for uh, sometimes at a year, you know, it takes a year to get somebody on. And um, uh, for example, like we had Steven Kotler on on the podcast and uh, I think he took about nine months, but every once in a while I would just check in with his assistant and I'd say, hey, you know, you said, uh, you know, this time of year, Steven might be, might have some openings, just checking in with you guys. Um, I'll snooze my emails to remind me um, w- when it pops up, like um, Jordan Harbinger is, uh, you know, it'll pop back up like in February and it's like, okay, it's time to check back in with, with this person and, and see where they're at. So I spend probably much more time than most people are willing to, to get those guests. And, um, and I've got a list of dream guests that I continually reach out to sometimes two or three or four times. And then a lot of times, like I'll ask the guest, like, hey, hey, you know, anybody that's kind of in this niche, that's similar. And a lot of times, uh, at the higher level, you know, sometimes they don't necessarily refer to people or have somebody that's a good fit. But um, quite often, you know, everybody will have or uh, quite a few will have a few, two or three or four friends that are in a similar realm. When I first started, I did a series of 106 figure entrepreneurs and about every guest that came on had, you know, a couple of friends at least that were in the same area as they were. And then I did 107 figure entrepreneurs, similar at the same, same, same thing. And uh, and so th- that's it, man. I've, I've gotten some of the most impressive people in the world from a cold email and then um you know people that uh, uh there's a lot of people it's just a numbers game like there's a lot of people that just ignore me over and over and over and finally then like that th- happens you know i get the right person and then you know now when i do my outreach i have a list of like hey this is also who's been on the show and a lot of times like i there's a guy named i think raul davis do you know him
1: it sounds familiar but i don't think
0: so Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's his name. Anyway, I reached out to him, um, and uh, he said on LinkedIn, and he said uh, he said, "Well, tell me your numbers. You know, tell me more about the podcast." And I sent the list of like some of the top people that have been on the podcast, and he said, "Yeah, that's the kind of people I like to hang out with. Send me your (laughs) booking link." You know, and then I got, um, Josh Muccio, who is the host of the pitch podcast, which is one of the top business podcasts on iTunes. And, um, I got him through Instagram and I shot a message over to him. I was like, Hey, do you ever come on other people's shows? And he goes, yeah, only if I can show up in my underwear. And I go, that's perfect. Cause I only wear my underwear too. <laughs> and, uh, so he, we hit it off really well. We had a great show. And so, you know, I've reached out through people, through Instagram, through Facebook, through LinkedIn, uh, cold emails, like I don't care. I'll just keep going until I get the get the guest and have them keep coming.
1: How do you prepare for those big names to come onto the the show? Because I don't know about you, but yeah. some people that come onto the show, I'm like stressing out. You know, I'm like pacing around. My fiance is like, "Okay, calm down. It's going to be okay." Like, how do you prepare <laughs> and make sure that? Uh, you know, how do you make sure that you know you like how do you prepare for those those big guests um, to make sure that you you know bring your best foot forward.
0: Yeah, I tell you at first man, like it it gets better with time, but at first like I would have to do some jumping jacks, and push-ups, you know, before <laughs> before the show to get the, you know, to calm the adrenaline or the anxiety or whatever was happening. And um getting the right mindset and like say some affirmations like, yeah, this is going to be the best podcast ever. This is. And then sometimes like, I'll just picture myself at the end of the podcast, me and that person having a really, really good um, camaraderie, really good um, connection. And so that seems to work like that worked really well. As time goes on, you get a bit better with it, you know, you can manage those, that anxiety a bit, a bit more and that excitement a bit more. And, um, so recently, like we, we had Laird Hamilton on the show and that was like, I've been a fan of his for 15 years at least. And so I was beforehand, I was like, I actually had a podcast planned beforehand from another, like really awesome person, but not quite as awesome as Laird. And so That kind of kept me focused, not like worrying so much about Laird, but focused on that. And then I had a short break between, and then Laird came on afterwards. And so I was already speaking. I was already warmed up. I was already ready to go. So, so that I think helped with that show. But, um, you know it's like you do whatever you got to do to make it successful it's it, I think envisioning the podcast and how you want it to go really helps it really helps me anyways um especially like thinking about the the conversations you know of course I write out some questions but I don't always follow them if we go down some rabbit hole that that uh that we need to go down that I really enjoy then we'll go down that and I a lot of times I have a little notepad that I like if something comes up, I write it down as we're speaking, so that the the computer doesn't or the microphone doesn't catch me like typing. So I'll just write down like uh, one topic that I want to ask the guest later, and all that I think helps. But with time, you know, it comes along, and and eventually it's it's pretty easy. I've gotten some pretty pretty big names on the show where I was just like, eh, yeah, I'm ready yeah, like there's, I don't need to prep. I don't need to do pushups. I'm, there's no anxiety whatsoever. And so, so it's, uh, it becomes a new normal actually.
1: Yeah. I was, um, like one that I was really stressing out about recently was I actually had Dan on the show from, from the DC and we were, we were with my, because when I'm in Cincinnati sometimes I stay with my parents just because it's easier and so we were at my parents' house and I was like nobody's allowed to talk for 30 minutes before the podcast like I know you guys are in a completely different part of the house but like I need to like mentally prepare and like calm myself down so I totally yeah. feel that <laughs> but man thank you so much for stopping by the the podcast um I really really appreciate you coming by and um talking um before we jump off though, I want to give people the chance to, you know, see all the awesome things that you're doing. So if uh they want to check out, you know, your coaching or get shit done live, um where can they find out about that and then where can they listen to the podcast?
0: Yeah, you you guys can really find everything at the businessmethod.com. Um that there's the coaching, there's the the live event, um there is the podcast and um some of our top interviews are right on the main page there. And, uh, of course, if you we're on every, our podcast is on every major podcasting platform, so you can check it out there as well.
1: Yeah, guys, I, I highly suggest going to check it out. I've been uh, consuming a lot of your uh, content recently. It's all top notch. So, uh, thanks so much for coming by. Thank you so much for putting, uh, everything that you're, you know, putting out there and that you're creating
0: for us. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me.